0: Welcome to Episode 12 of the Pilot's Journey Podcast, where we discuss aviation, maintaining proficiency and enjoying the journey. My name is Stuart Stevenson, aka Pilot Stu, a private pilot in North Dallas.
1: And my name is Stuart Stoll, aka CFI Stu, and as you might have guessed, a certified flight instructor near Fort Worth, Texas.
2: And I'm Idaho Mike, uh, Mike Hart, a private pilot in Idaho Falls. And uh, I guess I'm here because uh, I'm the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: episode we welcome mike hart as a new member of the pilots journey podcast team you may remember mike from episode nine where he described his experiences in choosing and purchasing a
0: cessna 182 sky we had a great response from that episode and thought mike would be a, a good addition to the show and so welcome mike
2: hey uh glad to be here and uh glad to be flying and and uh There have been a lot of fun adventures in the old uh, 225 Mike since uh, the last uh, uh, episode, including it finally came out of the annual, went into the annual, and boy, what an exciting annual.
0: (laughs) Uh, Exciting can mean a couple of things.
2: (laughs) You know, for one thing, as a a new aircraft owner, obviously the the annual, uh, when you first buy a plane, the first annual is going to be the big one, and... um, and there were a couple things we wanted, uh, you know, I, I actually wanted to add a, an engine instrument, uh, an engine monitor that was a little bit more than just a single gauge uh, EGT for, for leaning it out and uh, making, you know, being able to kind of maximize the performance of the engine. So I bought a uh, Oh, the JPI EDM eight thirty, which just basically monitors just about everything you can—fuel flow, the whole nine yards—and it hooks up to the Garmin four thirty. So that was that was a major investment of uh, by the time it's installed around six k. Uh, so I already mm. kind of went in adding, you know, three thousand dollar instrument with uh, another three thousand or so for for uh, installation, and then uh, on top of actually maybe it wasn't quite that. I... I the, the the next part of the story is what made me not even notice so much that that one because that was an upgrade i planned uh but in the course of the the uh the in- inspection uh the the uh, p found a uh, couple cracked wing ribs which the the plane when we bought it it had been a uh, basically a ramp queen that was had been um uh, restored, given a facelift and a and a full makeover by uh, the previous owner, and, and actually did a really good job. But uh, the wings uh, were one of the places that there was there were issues, and there had been a repair to one of the wing ribs, and that repair wasn't very good. And then another wing rib was just plain old, literally had a crack all the way through it. Uh, and wing ribs, interestingly, you know, they're uh, it's not the kind of thing you find on a on a walk around. Uh, obviously it's not the kind of place you don't open the inspection plates to see it and they're even hard to see in the inspection plates you really got to be looking you know you get your flashlight out and look at all of them and and fortunately it was a testament to the uh, mechanic to, that he found it and then once he found it on one side he double checked the other side and sure enough he had issues on the on it so anyway two wing ribs on each side uh, they're about 150 each but 150 for a wing rib, 200 for the wing rib, but it's the, it's the hundreds of rivets that you have to undo and remove the skin and then play, replace back in. It's all the riveting that, that costs all the money. It's just a lot of labor. So, Is that, so that something that
0: comes up. from overstressing?
2: You know, to be honest, it came from, I believe, from when they shipped the wings from the, they, like I said, it was a ramp queen that had been revamped. The wings had been sent off and reskinned and when they were reskin when they reskinned them and sent them back um the shipping caused damage and uh, when we when we bought the plane i remember the, the the mechanic pointing out that there had been some repairs uh but obviously there was there was more damage than he had seen when he fixed them uh from the uh when he installed the wings and either, either he just missed it or, you know, subsequently the the weaknesses showed through, but in any event it was, uh, the mechanic basically said, look, you know, you can, you could probably just go in there and do what he, the previous guy had done, which is, uh, you know, put some sheet aluminum rivet on both sides of the rib and, and fix it that way. He said, and you know, half of your, mechanics are going to say yeah that looks good and another half are going to say no that's not a sufficient repair he said so if you just replace the rib you're good because now it's it's done it's fixed uh it's a fix that uh, is more permanent and therefore going to last a lot longer and not really raise any uh issues with another mechanic riveting riveting yeah, <laughs> yeah i know uh, the jigs the the all the wing wing re reskinning and all the stuff that goes with that uh I, you know I don't know much about that side of the the thing, so I'm just glad I had a mechanic who knew what he was doing uh, and it did, did an efficient job they, they, he, we also he replaced some flap rollers uh, there was a, a place where there was wear uh, in the elevator. Uh, Again, a lot, uh, a lot of it was, you know, you can you can wait, you can fix it now, or you can wait because it's gonna, it's a wear item. So we we basically decided let's let's baseline the airplane right now. You know, first year, let's just get it all everything everything fixed that we can. So uh, another one was a cow flap hinge that was just worn out. So that that's really nice because now that I'm flying at the cow flap, uh, when it, when I opened or closed the cow flaps before it was. Always just a little stiff, a little bit tough to open and shut it, and now uh, now it's nice and smooth operation. And, and here's the one that this was the big find that that uh, again why why we do annuals and why annual inspections are a good thing. Uh, turns the, turns out the uh, the gas regulator was leaking, so we replaced that on the front, and then the fuel shutoff valve actually was didn't work; it was inoperable. So you could turn it to off. But when they did, so that they could change the gas uh, it kept flowing, and uh, so that you know, that's one of those things you really actually want to have work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Huh. I mean, the all, I, I, you know, the idea of being burned alive in in my plane is not one of those things that I ever want to experience. So. <laughs> <laughs> being able to shut the fuel off or stop an engine fire or whatever. I don't know. I, I, so that made me – that. and now, again, it's smooth operating on that valve, on that uh, switching tanks or switching it to off. So so I'm feeling very good. We we now have a completely operable airplane and good for another year. And uh, all told, I uh, believe we were in it for 14 aviation maintenance units.
0: Well, that's not as bad we're, as I thought it was going to be when yeah, you started it actually talking. Was,
2: it was actually – it's actually 15, I think. And that's that's with the added, and so that's the annual itself, all those repairs, and adding that additional instrument. So,
0: so is the JPI going to save you enough fuel to pay for that?
2: You know, probably not. Uh, but it, in terms of the, what it gives me, uh, and the reason I went ahead and upgraded it, is, is A, yeah, there is definitely, gonna, I can control the economy much better and much more uh, tightly uh, within, you know, by being able to, lean with a much higher tolerance or uh, then the other thing is really engine wear the reality is it, it there's a warning uh that goes off if you're shock cooling if you're if you descend too fast it's gonna uh alarm and and blink at you and tell you you know you're going down too fast the engine's cooling faster than it should uh for for Flight safety, the fact that I do, I can watch what my fuel flow is and it tells me how much time or how much uh, uh, fuel is left in the tanks. Now we're still calibrating that because you have to uh, fill and it, it tells you how much it thinks you burned and then you have gotta look at that compared to how much you added to the tank every time you filled and we haven't done enough fills to really start to get that calibration completely wired down. But it's, it's still, it's nice uh, to be able to have something other than those, you know, a- uh, analog gauges that bounce around as you, as you fly. It, it's basically basically measuring the fuel flow. So, you know, if you, if you have a leak, it's not going to be accurate as to what you, is in your tanks. But if you're based on fuel burn, it's going to give you a very precise number. So that's, that's a confidence inspiring thing, always being able to look down and see how many hours you have in the tank measured in, in both hours and remaining fuel and in, in, uh, gallons so that's kind of nice uh,
0: does the jpi have about, its own uh display or does it all go through the
2: 430 no it go, it has its own it's its own display it's a uh, it's fits in the uh the standard size hole but it's a little bit it, it, it's about the size of, a, of a, a calculator uh in terms of the actual display and it's full color and it, you get digital information on, uh, like for leaning and and that kind of thing. But it also and and, and also RPMs, uh, uh, manifold pressure are is read as a digital. So you have a, a lot more oil pressure, oil temperature. All so you have all that stuff. But it, you also get analog in, in that you you not only do you have the number, but you have a little bar chart showing it relative to other other measures. And so you, being able to see both a number and a little. Uh, Analog-looking, uh, you know, bar that shows you relative, you know, how much three quarters full, three quarters empty, or whatever. So, so it's the combination. You get a lot of input in a quick glance, and then it 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 has a nice little scan. The one thing again, the danger of it is, got the first flight with it, I was sitting there uh, playing with it, messing with it. It's like, gosh, keep your eyes out the side of the cockpit, Mike. You're, you're gonna crash if you keep looking, playing with your little new new toy.
0: Didn't have a safety pilot for that one, huh?
2: No you know well the first the first flight out using it really was a, a, a you know we did I did go up with the mechanic and you know but when we did i wasn't paying too much attention to it but then at some point you know you do have to run it through the paces and it, to do that you do it with the engine running and uh, obviously when it's in, it's hard to lean the airplane on the ramp you've got to be flying to learn that whole procedure <laughs> uh, so so anyway i, I now at now that i've got learned it it's it's really easy it's just went that first bit of you know punching the num- punching the different buttons and, and having the gauge change and everything is uh a little bit different you know getting used to that but but no i i started my ifr training and uh it was great being able to look down and you know leaning was is so much faster because of where it's located in my scan i can see it get the leaning taken care of once i'm at a cruise altitude and um and then i'm then i'm no longer distracted or paying attention to it. once you've done it you've leaned it you've got the numbers and it's you're good and it's and it will alarm if you've if you change conditions on it so good stuff
1: good stuff it's a lot more effective than just leaning the engine until the engine dies, and then quickly and <laughs> quickly screwing yeah. back in the mixture. Right? That's not how you do it.
2: <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> that's how I. That's how. What's funny is, I, you, you, the nice thing is, yeah, that is that's the way I used to do it, and it was when, I, when I first started playing with it, that's what I was doing. And basically, you you tap a button on the right, and it says lean fine lean fine mode, and then you just steadily lean. And, and you just keep a steady, you know, using that uh, vernier, uh, keep rolling the, the knob out. And then as soon as it gets peak, it, it'll, it immediately starts flashing saying leanest. So it now tells you, you've just leaned to the leanest cylinder is now as hot as you want it to be. So now it's, then you just dial it back in until you're rich of peak and then 10 degrees. And then you're good, 10 or 20 degrees, depending on how, how tight you want to run it. Um, do you have the gamma so, injectors? Or not, not? I'm sorry, not lean of peak. I, I, I fly rich of peak because I'm carbureted. So I don't have gamma injectors. Okay. If you have, if you had the inje- fuel injected, I think you're entitled to lean of peak. Uh, I think you, you know, people would argue that you can do that with a carbureted engine. But uh, my mechanic said you can, but if you do, uh, <laughs> you're you're just going to have uh, you you're just running the risk of, of Burning up your engine. He, he's basically of the opinion that carbureted engines aren't worth uh, trying to, to lean that way, run lean of peak.
0: Well, I know the Gammy people are the real proponents yeah. of running lean of peak.
2: Right, and I think you know when you have an injected an injected engine, I think you're entitled to that a lot. You know, there's a lot more control. And the Gammy people, I think that's what the whole thing. Is they really they, they really uh, you know you send in the injector and they'll re, you know tighten it down and get even more you know. Tighter tolerances with the with you know it, it's kind of an iterative thing I guess.
0: So how far along are you in the IFR training?
2: You know just just really beginning it. Uh, I guess it's all de- it all depends on what you mean. Uh, you know. It, Do you feel still feel the overload? Yeah, I think so, definitely. In fact. Uh, <laughs> The last round, it was really fun. I did a couple approaches, and it was uh, really reasonable. And, and the nice thing is I'm in the system a lot. Whenever I fly, I do a lot. Whenever I do my cross-countries, uh, I always have flight following. So I'm very comfortable, you know, talking to approach, talking to controllers all the time at center and, have, and being handed off because I get handed off from Salt Lake, two different sectors of Salt Lake, and then uh, Seattle and then a Chinook approach on my, my regular commute, so to speak. So I... Um, I'm used to being in the system and talking to controllers, and that's a lot of having that comfort makes it easier uh, to not be flustered when they're asking and demanding and, and talking to you. So that 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 part's good, but the whole you know following the procedures, flying, and then doing that—it's like it was right at my right at my bandwidth. Uh, if if they would have asked me to do a hold, I would have gone over because I wouldn't have, you know, I would have been like suddenly got into cognitive dissonance trying to figure out which way do I enter the hold since I've never even entered a hold before. Uh, but then, and the next, my next lesson, our, our plan is to basically go up and fly three different approaches, do a, uh, an ILS, uh, a VOR, and a, an RNAV back to back basically run the whole entire full procedure to the you know missed approach to the fix then start the next one then the whole procedure through the missed approach then the next one and i figure that'll probably i don't know two hours is what i'm guessing it's going to take to fly three three full procedures
1: yeah that sounds about right two hours is about what it takes
2: and, and one of the things is that the Garmin. 4, last time I did it, basically treating the Garmin 430 as it was like a, just like it was a regular VOR, uh, which it is. Obviously, it has all that stuff. We just and we just did uh, an ILS approach uh, and, a, and a VOR approach. But the reality is, it it does all those wonderful little magenta lines, and you can type in, you know, load the procedure and have it basically uh, it updates on the on the instrument and you know basically you can fly the, the magenta line which is what it's intended for so i kind of want to learn it both the old school way of just looking at the needles but at the same time look at the actual readout so that i can i mean because there's no reason to cheat or to not cheat because it's not cheating it's that's what that instrument does it's how it works so i should i want to learn both kind of the old school as well wow. as the actual pink line
1: Right. Yeah, you're going to want to learn the old school just in case your GPS goes out while you're flying.
2: Well, the problem is that the, I don't have a backup. That GPS slash the Garmin Four Hundred and Thirty is my uh, VOR and my GPS.
1: Oh, really? So you yeah. don't actually have a um, you don't have any other backup navigation instruments in that airplane?
2: Not not in a uh, not in an IFR certified category. I have uh, the backup is uh, the the Garmin. Uh, 396, which is tacked up above, you know, panel mounted, you know, removable panel mount, which, you know, if you did have an electrical failure, the battery on that is an independent battery from the electrical system of the uh, airplane. So, you know, you, you could turn it on battery mode and it's going to activate and you'd have a GPS there. But my other backup plan, to be honest, is I just, I kind of have an affinity for and love for dead reckoning. And I know that sounds a little bit sick, but I always like having dead reckoning charts for, for, for long shot uh, trips. And that way I always, because that's that, a dead, dead reckoning. If you know times, altitudes, distances, and headings, then you, you will be able to keep from bumping into the granite
1: well, that's awfully hard to do in the clouds. I'd still like community. to have radar out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, to be honest, to be honest you, know, I, I, one of the things that, that we're talking, Roger and I are already, uh, my the co-owner, we're talking about the fact, you know, we probably need to get a, back, a secondary nav uh, added because of the fact that there, we only have the one uh, nav radio.
0: I suspect you can pick up a king radio and a display for, for not a whole lot.
2: You know, that that's the, that, and that's ultimately our big question is, so what, which one, where would we put it and where would it go and when are we going to add this sucker? So, I, <laughs> but, but the, uh, the, the, the big trip we're planning is down to Southern Texas right now, uh, for April 2nd, it's going to be me, my CFI and his wife. Uh, and so we, we, I'm basically going down to see my mother, uh, for her birthday and then, uh they're going to go probably to South Padre Island or hang out for the weekend, and then, then we'll flip, flip it back around. It's going to be kind of a marathon trip. Uh, I was, if, you, if you're throwing it up on the screen, it's, it's 1,800 nautical or 1,400 nautical miles one, to one way, so 2,800 both ways, which is nine hours of flying with the winds at your back and 12 hours of flying with the winds in your face.
1: Oh, that's not too bad.
2: So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a long day, you know, possibly stretch it out over two days, getting there, two days, getting back. Uh, again, there's a, one of the big things is I'm going to start simulating go, no go, go. Look at the route and say, you know, if I were to, if, if to, tomorrow was going to be our launch, would this be, would would it be a go or a no go uh, based on, you know, what weather is, because one of the things, the first lessons of the IFR was here was like, you know, IFR doesn't mean you can fly in any weather. It just opens another, you know, maybe thirty percent of the days that you absolutely wouldn't fly as a VFR pilot. Now, maybe thirty percent more of them you can. Right. Correct. That means there's still a lot of windows where it's the 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 window will be closed between thunderstorms, icing. You know, I've got to cross the the Rockies a couple times. A lot of a lot of the, there's the Wasatch rain. The wind the winters are on one possible route choice. Uh, there's a lot of, lots of stuff above 13,000, 14,000 feet in terms of the peaks. So, uh, if you go for, and that, that's the other thing, where the whole issue of GPS direct, trying to figure out what you're, if you were to go GPS direct, how, what, what is the altitude you, will, you can expect to get and what can you fly and uh, does it make sense to go out uh, GPS direct, particularly in mountainous terrain?
0: Do you have your aroca
2: You know, that's the thing that the reason... Whoa, 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 Uh,
0: acronym alert here. Uh, Aroca is off route Obstacle Clearance Altitude.
2: Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um. The Arocas are all way high. What's interesting about GPS direct is it's kind of unappealing because you end up having to fly way high uh, to stay above at the Arocas. I mean, all the Arocas around just my sector are all 13, 14, 16,000 feet. (laughs)
1: Uh, bring an oxygen tank
2: (laughs) well exactly i have a four-place oxygen system but we would definitely burn through that a lot uh and 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 again one of the things i don't like about i I fly at that the the 13 uh fairly frequently but it it dehydrates you uh being at at that altitude and and for you know you're about ready to launch on a trip and so you you Try not to drink too many fluids uh, so that you're not overly hydrated because three hours is going to be very uncomfortable.
1: Hey, the, I've seen pilot stores that uh, sell those little red <laughs> plastic bottles that, you know, the little screw on cap.
0: With the CFI's wife in the back, that might not be so comfortable.
2: <laughs> you know, what's funny is he's, he's like, you know, air sick bags work just fine for me.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they're usually they're usually not big enough
2: <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say you know i think i think the reality is uh there's gonna be a few more there's gonna be more bladder stops than fuel stops
1: oh man it still sounds like a lot of fun though
2: yeah you know i i uh it, it, it's fun planning just the the whole look at i mean look at i bought all the charts the charts that are current through april 8th so uh and it's nice, you know, if you're good for for doing a as a learning exercise, a big monster cross country like that, you know, there's a lot of crossing points, and you know, there's going to be so much thrown at us of real world how how it's going to what it, what it's like when you're in the system, um, you know, whether I'm under the hood or whether we're in actual IFR conditions. I I, am, I think, to get out of here, we can't really. There's not going to be much option of having IFR weather at our departure time because of the, you know, again, if, there, if it's IFR in Idaho at this time of year, it's icing. It's just hard to not have the, the combo. Uh, but uh, on the other end, it's, I'm going to call it docile IFR, you know, that coastal fog, coastal uh, marine layers are, you know, you can be in the clouds and, and not be necessarily ha- worry about embedded thunderstorms or ice down yep. in Southern Texas.
1: It, the the airmet IFR as opposed to the convective SIGMET
0: IFR, right?
2: Right. Yeah, and, and right now we definitely have uh, uh, airmet Zulu or airmet Zulu is, is is active here. Actually, I think actually it's just just to the north of us, but it's icing. There's pilot reports for icing now. So,
1: ouch. Well, I'll tell you what. I I had a solid uh, the whole trip. It was. Um, 14 hour flight, solid IFR the whole way from Fort Worth to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And um, it was solid IFR and I think I learned the most on that one flight than I have in my entire flight training career.
2: And it, was it because you had to, was it because, you, because it was solid IFR or was it because it was such a long immersion in the system?
1: Uh, I think it was both. Um, I, uh, I mean, I have so many stories from that flight. I have had, um, you know, uh, uh, briefers not telling me about certain notums and then I'm catching them and how I caught them and then, um, dealing with all the different controllers as they, as you go through different areas of the United States and, um, towards the end there getting in um, some pretty bad weather and how to get out of it when you're unfamiliar with the area cuz this is the first time I'm over Florida. I don't know the names of these intersections and they're trying to get me to these intersections to get out of bad weather and um, you know how I dealt with all that. It's it was quite it was quite an experience.
2: Well, I know that, that's that, that that's really what I one of the things I'm looking forward to is uh, a long long trips like that, big road trips with a with a buddy with anybody. Uh, and, and Tom, my CFI, is is a great guy, and he just got his CFI, so it's it's really also a learning experience for him having his first student really next door to him. Uh, so we're both going to be uh, getting a, a lot of a lot of fun experience, and uh, I'm hoping for some good real IFR. Uh, I've we did have a one day of, of one, my one hour, I've logged one hour of real actual instrument time. Although the reality was, it wasn't like we were in the clouds for long. It was just a thin layer. Uh, but it was a thin layer that kept, you know, was between, uh, the, the approach altitude and the, and the descent. So you had to deal with it. Uh, so it was pretty entertaining, but, uh, I, I, the, I'm really looking forward to the experience of, of real IFR. And uh, it was, it was, it's, it's really, I didn't think I was going to love it as much as I did. I was kind of always intimidated. It's like I haven't done under the hood stuff for 20 years because I did it when I got my ticket a long, 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 long time ago. And I really don't have it, don't do much hood work. I mean, I did it for my biennial, did some hood work, but it, there's a difference between hood work and IFR hood work.
0: Well, there's a whole, there's a lot of difference between hood work and true IMC as well.
1: Oh, right. thank you, Stuart. <laughs> That's, I was just about to say that.
2: Right. The and what do you? What's the big difference The biggest difference is vertigo, there? disorientation. Vertigo. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you lose all it. the
0: shadow cues. Uh, yes. Right. Even with a hood, you can still kind of see where you are just from the shadows and on the the instrument panel. Uh, when you're in true IMC it's all white it's all uh diffused so there is no up there is no down outside right. the cockpit
1: you yeah, you know, you'll, you'll get dizzy pretty quick um no matter your experience level
2: you know i i've done a lot of the the night flying stuff uh with with no real good with without uh, an as much horizon as i would like to have let's just put it that way uh and that those sensations uh you know i was reading the ifr books and, and it's like boy I've, I've felt that before the you know a, a lot of those because just the night flying but again night flying is is a, is a different animal than than true ifr yeah
1: it's um you with the night flying or even in the hood you'll experience you will know, you'll have your disorientation experiences um Uh, every now and then but when when you're in the clouds and you're constantly in the clouds it doesn't go away it just stays with you the whole time you're in the clouds (laughs) so um if you're you know you take off that cloud level is just so where you're you just took off and now you're turning um crosswind you know from final or i'm sorry on the upwind to crosswind or Whatever, uh, yeah. and you go in. You go into the clouds of that climbing turn, you know, and you roll oh, out. It's and you stay in the clouds. That stay that that right there stays with you the whole time you're in the clouds, and um, so it's it's just something to 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 look out for. I mean, that's that's the one thing. I mean, other than that, it's the same thing. Just trust your instruments, and you'll be fine. But well, but it I, is I just fun. Say,
2: yeah, I was just gonna say, and that's but that's half the battle, or not the battle, half the fun and and the experience is to learn well a to get in the, the to have the experience for the first time that vertigo that like you said in fact i can i can mentally visualize that whole you know climbing bank into a cloud and then change, you know leveling off and oh my gosh i can already i can in in my head i'm already dizzy just thinking about that one <laughs> uh if I had a head of dollar <laughs> <laughs> and and then yeah to have that in real life and then again then and then if you then roll off, level off, get you, nail your heading, complete the, the, the approach or whatever, whatever procedure you're on, the, the feeling of conquering it. In other words, uh, going through the, the, that, truly uh, you know, trusting the instruments and, and nailing it, as well as I'm sure you know, the other thing is as getting slightly overcome by that experience and losing it and then getting reoriented in that whole fight to try to stay oriented
1: yeah, I've had I have stories about those too. I <laughs> have some really some really funny um oh what's that website called? Um oh the uh, the flight following website Oh right can, uh um it's uh I flight watch. aware. FlightAware. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, flight aware. I've had some funny lines drawn on flight aware from <laughs> my students getting disoriented. I've had one uh I think we were going to Chicago. And um, there's no GPS in this airplane. We were flying; it was just dual VOR. So we're going from VOR to VOR, and we got to the point where we're halfway in between both VORs. But the halfway point was something like 30, 40 nautical miles. It was a really long Victor airway going up to Chicago, and um, this the the needle was just a little bit to the right of the uh, the circle. It wasn't exactly centered. And the student started making this very shallow, you know, five degree right turn corrections to bring the needle back in. But, you know, you're so far away from the VOR, it's not very sensitive. So he wound up making a completely 180 degree turn while I'm looking at a low end route chart. And um, pretty soon, (laughs) you know, we get this radio call. "Uh, Are you guys uh, experiencing any trouble or you need assistance? And I was like, no, why, why do you say that? Well, you're going, you know, southbound back towards Texas, <laughs> and uh, you know, quick look <laughs> at the, quick look at the, you know, uh, the heading, the heading indicator, and is a quick, you know, what are you doing to me? <laughs> turning the airplane back north, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, nope, we're fine. <laughs> so on this, so on this flightaware, it shows this complete 180 de- or 360 degree circle just randomly in the
0: middle of our, our flight path. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing some steep turns. A
2: That's random, cool. a random self uh, self assigned hold. Yeah, and
1: uh, I mean, I was really lucky that they I didn't get a phone number from that because. But um, usually, oh, when you're they, out in the middle of nowhere and on Victor Airway, they won't give you one. But
2: no, did they? Did, were you also filed uh, as a student instruction um, because that's, that's one of the things, I, I, I you know, it will definitely be on our, our chart that, you know, this is an instructional flight just because I think they hopefully handle you a little bit. If not handle you differently, they're, they're, the controller on the other end knows that you're, if he just gives you a complex set of uh, 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 instructions that you, you may have to have him go a little slow. <laughs>
1: well, you'll still get a phone number, but... But when you, call, when you call that phone number and you explain that, hey, uh, that's when you explain, hey, it was a student training exercise and right. I put it in my flight plan then they cut you some slack usually when you call the phone number. But um, I, th- I think they have some kind of computer equipment. If I'm not mistaken, I don't really know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they have something that just flashes out, hey, this person deviated. Here's the phone number. Give it to them. And then the controller has to give it to you. So, um, so you'll still get a phone number, but um, once you call them, I'm sure though they've seemed to be pretty understanding with me in the past, because <laughs> I've gotten a few. <laughs> you,
2: you know, I was going to say, you know, what's your experience with that? Because I, I, I've I heard other pilots be uh, uh, asked to call, uh, and, and I, I remember one time I... I uh, encountered rain and it was at night and we were coming in and you know we quickly took the first uh airport we could get to uh, because it was deteriorating weather and, and at night it was not a good good thing but above us was a guy who had gotten himself into some icing uh he was claimed he was flying vfr but wanted to file in route ifr and, the, you know, the, the controller was like, you know, you, so you're still VFR, right? And the answer came back, uh, yeah, 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 Aww. I'm still VFR. <laughs> you know, one of those where you could tell that that clearly the guy's already in the soup. Uh, and by the time he got his IFR clearance, uh, he was picking up ice and was in a panic. Uh, <sighs> and so he, you know i mean and, and listening to him panic on the on frequency was i I was below the cloud deck, and so I actually called in and said you know i'm I'm at, over the malad v o r and i'm I'm at uh t- was it twelve k and descending down to ten thousand the ceiling was at twelve thousand so so if you can get below twelve thousand clean clear of terrain, you'll be out of the clouds uh and, but the controller uh, both the controller and, and pilot thanked me for that information, but at the same time, he couldn't get him down below that because of the MEAs, the ROCAs, the, the 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 route he was on had higher higher numbers than that. So I think they they at that point I was I focused on getting my plane to the ground safely and uh, and didn't and switched to tower frequency and and landed and then. Uh, as soon as I landed, this guy comes in right behind me. It's like, "Are you from the FAA?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: And it's like, "No, no, no." I said I heard, I think I said I, I said, so is that was that you on the radio with the icing or, you know, I said cuz I want I, you know, I had a, a legitimate concern for the guy. I really wanted to make sure he, he you know, was hoping he came in safely and and that, that that was him when the guy came in. He was but that was his first question. So you from the FAA? <laughs> that'd been mine too oh, and, <laughs> and we're here, he, he here was, to help you <laughs> yeah he, he was a he was a he was immediately uh, he was reaching for that nasa forum by gosh <laughs> he
1: had he had a gun in his back pocket just in case the answer was yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is idaho that could have been a possibility
1: <laughs> well i've had um i've had all sorts of Um, experiences with phone numbers with my students out on solo flights. Um, but I've only really been in one or two that can remember where I've personally gotten a phone number. Um, Oh, I was on a, Oh, this was a cheap shot. I was on a, uh, I was flying IF, uh, in VMC conditions and, but we were on an IFR flight plan just to give the student the experience of filing it and go flying it. And, um, I think we were doing some holds out over the Milsat VOR by Mineral Wells. I think our heading indicator was processing really badly is what it was. That's right. what it was in the turns. In the turns and the holds, we noticed it wasn't really... We had to really set the the heading indicator every time in the hold. It wasn't matching up. So we decided to go, okay, well, we're not really going to learn anything from this today. So why don't we go ahead and go back? So we let them know we got... um permission to go back to our our base, which was Fort Worth-Meacham. So uh, we were told to climb to 5,000 feet, and um, the students started the climb, and we caught our heading, we were going back, and um, seeing as we were in VMC conditions, the controller came on and said, um, as we were nearing 5,000 feet, um, the controller said, you have traffic at your, you know, uh, three o'clock, you know, look out for them. So I remember looking out for the traffic, my student's under the hood, so he can't look for the traffic, and, um, I finally saw the traffic. I said, traffic in sight. And by the time I looked back, my student was 500 feet off his altitude. I, I slammed the yoke forward to get him back down to his altitude. And, um, at that point, you know, say altitude, you know, um, advise and ready to copy a phone number. It's like, Oh man, that is so cheap that they did that to me. And, um, so, uh, after we called back, it turns out that um, our transponder was broken. <laughs> it was actually showing that we were a thousand feet off our altitude. oh wow, and, yeah, so it's no wonder that they gave me that computer assigned me a phone number, but um, we were never more than maybe f- actually I don't think we were ever more than three hundred feet off our altitude so um, sure enough so what the it, transponder is broken
2: so what is the gotcha the uh- what are the gotcha numbers because i've never in terms of when when what breaks in procedure will will get you that uh dreaded phone number call or assignment
1: well like i said it's i think some computer um uh
2: uh, right so basically flight aware type the 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 spreadsheet that's getting created by your flight aware automatically triggers an alarm above
1: certain, right you know? it says it says something along the lines this guy deviated uh, alert the pilot and give him a phone number so we can find out it's basically the numbers just to find out what right. happened you know right it's yeah. not it's not a it really isn't hey, you're in a lot of trouble though right it's it, not it's it not a
2: woodshed be. it's not a woodshed moment it's merely uh again kind of like when you, when you found yourself doing a 180 uh it, it, that's kind of why you like uh that's the nice thing about it, being in the system is they <laughs> they they do kind of ask you so uh is everything all right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, i think in my in my experience if they um if they ask you to say your altitude, you tell them the altitude you're supposed to be at and get to it as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that pretty much guarantees you're not going to get a phone number. I can't believe I just said that on the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't, uh, don't lie to you, Don't AMA lie to your CFI, stew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not that I've ever done anything like that. <laughs> no, no.
1: I always I've always taken the phone numbers. I've had. Um, if they ask you something wrong or say your altitude, and you you're honest and you tell them that your altitude is what it really is, or you'll you'll get a phone number. I mean, right. it's just what happens. But you know, as long as you're not, uh, oh, what was that airline called?
2: Um, the, right, the uh, Northwest, where they uh, flew overflew the course by. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. As long
1: as you're not Northwest and um, you're northwest. not asleep, you probably nothing will come of it.
2: So right, right you know the uh the one of my uh, flying buddies uh uh he got a phone number from tower and it was interesting because when he called it was actually tower apologizing uh because we have we have two runways uh, or the main runways in Idaho Falls are 2 and 20 so you have a reciprocal that both of them are twos you know a, a 2 or a 20 and so it's it's somewhat easy to slip up, and you know when when you're told uh, you know cleared for runway two, uh, if you say two zero or zero two, uh, you know again it's easy it's a it's an easy mistake to get uh, twisted around on those two numbers. And in any event, uh, the guy was cleared for one you know whatever runway it was. He read it back correctly. And then the guy said, "No, that's not what I assigned you." <laughs> <laughs> and and he so he, you know, did it again. And then afterwards, the guy went the the guy in the tower went back to the tape and found that no, he had done it wrong. It wasn't it wasn't the pilot. It was the tower who and and it, and, the, and the tower guy felt bad because he was kind of stern with the pilot, you know, over on frequency and wanted to just basically apologize that you know. That was actually my mistake, not yours, which that's kind of, that was, that's an interesting concept of using the phone, the the evil phone number.
1: Yeah. And, um, I've had, I've actually had a weather briefer call and apologize to me before for giving me a really bad weather briefing. Um, (laughs) we, we, yeah, it was, um, it was some winter, it was some winter day here in Texas and there was some low hanging, you know, clouds, and we decided we wanted to go get some actual, and uh, we called and asked for icing reports or any, any anything of that matter, and he said, nope, it's all clear, you know, pyreps are good, and the weather looks good, and everything looks good, you're clear to go. And so we took off, and about five minutes in the clouds, you know, we started picking up uh, uh, rime ice. and so we came back around, and as we were shooting the ILS back into the airport, I swear we popped out right at minimums. And the snow, this heavy snow was coming down from the clouds and just blowing past our airplane as oh. we were coming to land. It was the most beautiful instrument approach I've ever shot, but you know it's icing conditions and um, and uh, about ten minutes after we land, we get this we get this call, and it's the briefer, and he's apologizing to us and I've never heard of that happening before.
2: But you know, I guess it's it's testament that that there are good people in the system on all sides of the microphone, right? Uh, and, well. and 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 we're all human. We all you know nobody's perfect. And and even though the system is there to keep you from bumping into clouds, the wrong kinds of clouds, or bumping into uh, granite and various things, the you know the reality is that you're, you're, the pilot in command still has to be. Uh, well, the final authority. Well, right. and, and, well, and, well, that, and also, you know, everybody. You know, there's always a mistake, and you you always have to be diligent. I guess basically, it's not that you don't want to ever you don't want to say you don't trust the system to give you good information, but I think there, that skepticism and double checking and double and double checking again.
1: before every flight, I always personally look at the METARs and the reps and the NOTAMS right. myself. You know, I I I look at. Three or four different aviation weather websites before I go. Um, that's that's the, my big stickler <laughs> is doing all that myself. And you know the weather briefer guys, he just reads the same stuff back to you. I mean, he's just reading right. the same ETAR, the same everything too. So he's not getting any kind of new information. So right. I mean, we both made the assessment. I mean, I looked. Oh, it's just low hell you know, low right. hanging clouds. Right. That's the same thing he got. And it just so happened that there's some weird fluke that this little snowstorm came out of nowhere that one year and
2: well that's the other thing mother nature can change and just because i mean those things are forecasts. they aren't (laughs) they they tell you what they expect to happen not necessarily that it's a hundred percent accurate and going to happen exactly as they say right yeah
1: it's just this weird snowstorm just popped up in the middle of fort worth and
2: (laughs) you know what are the odds of that happening it's i was gonna say (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you know that that's one of the things we, we get a lot of snow here and uh flying out in snow is, is always, if it's, co- you know, if it's really cold, it's not, you know, in fact, it, a lot of times if it is snowing, the, the, it is very cold, so you don't really have to worry about icing. But uh, uh, it's still a different experience. I don't, I don't try to or make an, a point of going out and flying in it when it's snowing, uh, but I've definitely been out in the pattern and, and had snow squalls come through and where the, where the field almost went IFR while I was out there in it. Uh, but didn't, fortunately. Yeah, I don't know if I'd get if you're if you're out. I mean, if you're in a pat, in the pattern and and it's VFR conditions, but while you're turning, you know, crosswind or downwind, it becomes IFR. What, I'm not sure. You know, you you aren't going to be vectored out to get a special VFR, are you? Or, or well, I already know they wouldn't do that. Or yeah, what what's the what 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 do you do when that happens?
1: Well just like your IFR training, you know, you treat it as a circle to land. When you're in the pattern, treat it as a circle to land. And if at any time you lose sight of the airport, follow your missed approach procedure. But if you're VFR, I mean if you don't have your plates with you or anything and Well that's what I was
2: saying. if you really truly are a VFR pilot out in a VFR and con- in you know, borderline VFR conditions, but you're you're uh, you know, in the pattern, everything seems safe. But then, you know, I mean, again, weather can come in very quickly. And-
0: right. Well, was it a situation where the, uh, you actually lost sight of the runway?
2: No, it actually, the, the, what it amounted to is the, the visibilities were uh, dropping from three miles and, and beginning to, you know, the, both the ceiling was collapsing because of the snow uh and and the visibilities it's you know we landed i was with the cfi so i mean there was a, some level of protection there but at the same time uh we landed and within five minutes or 15 minutes i think it, the squall moved on you know the snow lifted and, and everything went back but it was right 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 after we landed it was like yeah, hey, that was good enough let's let's give her a break uh well and it was it, I hate to say this it was also like 30 35 knot wins it was it was really screaming out
1: oh nice that sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> it,
2: it, it was it was an exciting it was one of my biennials uh
0: <laughs> i think there's actually a um, an allowance in the regs that if you can see the runway that uh, vfr minimums don't apply as long as you stay in the pattern
2: well, and I actually right. think – I also think that the uh, uh, the controller would have probably said, you know, look, we're, once you land, we're going to cl- declare the field IFR. I've, I mean, I've heard them on the frequency say that before, too, where, where basically they let the guy – the VFR guy get out of the sky, and then they declare IFR.
0: I was at uh, an airport once, and uh, I was actually on the ground, but I was listening to the radio, and there was a guy that uh, was coming in, and he was about four or five miles out – and it was rapidly descending ceiling. And he was VFR only. And the tower controller did everything he could to get the guy to ask for special VFR.
2: Yeah. Right, right.
0: And he said, I can't can't let you in because we're IFR now unless you ask for some special handling in VFR conditions. Oh, where where was this? I think I was in the air and heard this when that Mrs. happened. This is in McKinney.
1: Yes, I was
0: there for that. I remember this happening and the poor guy never did get it. I don't know what happened to him but oh, I remember that. I was on
1: that frequency. That's hilarious that you were there too. <laughs> that's 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 so crazy cuz I remember that to this day just laughing at this guy. I've, there's there's been two or three instances where I've just completely laughed at uh, other pilots. Um there was there was one where um IFR and uh This guy comes on over to Approach Control and says, "Um, I think I have a problem. I think my um, attitude indicator is broken. And the controller was, I would like to confirm that your attitude indicator is indeed broken and that you're in need of assistance. And he goes, well, no, not really. It's it's not really broken. It just doesn't tell me if I'm in a climb or in a turn. And the controller... (laughs) I think that's broken <laughs> yeah the controller comes on and I, I swear per quote was indeed sir that does lead me to believe that your attitude indicator is broken <laughs> so climb to this altitude fly to this heading and uh, oh man I had tears I had tears from laughing so hard at that Oh,
2: uh, that's <laughs> uh, those, are, those are precious moments
1: Oh yes. Anyway, back to your original question about what do you do in that situation where you're in the pattern and you can't find the airport all of a sudden? And as you declare an emergency and you comply to whatever they tell you, vectors right. or hopefully get you right. back in. But yeah, don't hesitate to declare an emergency if all of a sudden you're a VFR pilot and you're in inadvertent IMC. That's an emergency. So.
2: Well, you know what's interesting is I think that that's that's one of the things that. Um, you know, reading lots of the, I, I, that callback, the NASA report, uh, newsletter, uh, between that and, uh, having heard people declare emergencies now a couple times when I'm out, out flying and just listening, you know, you know, the more you're in the air, the more you're listening to frequency, the more you hear things happening around you, uh, and, uh, I, it used to be, I would always think, "Oh, man, the last thing you want to do is declare an emergency. It's just going to be paperwork horrible. and, it's like, and now I'm, I, I really have completely done a 180 on that, where it's like, I think I'm going to unhesitatingly declare an emergency if I feel like I need to." In other words, not create any, emerg- any inertia in my attitude between, you know, throwing up my hands and, and admitting, uh, because I think, you know, the combination of ego, fear of a bureaucracy coming down on you. Uh, fear of the FAA, fear of enforcement, fear of the fact that you did something stupid, not as bad as doing something really stupid. And, uh, you know, if the, I think when in doubt, declare the emergency if you have, you know, if, seriously, if, you, if you're feeling like it's an emergency, then by gosh, you just pretty much just about have it there
1: or even if you're not sure it's an emergency just declare it.
2: <laughs> the worst case is it's a lot of paperwork where you have to explain yourself. Well, no, the worst case is you're dead
1: because you didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's the worst case. The paperwork, and the paperwork isn't really a lot. It's like one or two pieces of paper where you just have to describe the events that took place. It's, I mean, that's it. I've had to fill those things out several times now and it's not really that big of a deal. You can just you you print it off, fill it out, Fax it off or, or mail it off, and you're done. That's it. And
2: well, you know, so you know, I think it what it amounts to is I have a bureaucratic phobia. You know, I don't like forms. I hate forms.
1: Well, no one wants to do that, and especially if, if it's something that is your fault. You know, then oh great, if, uh, it calls attention that you did do something wrong, and then you might get a seven hundred nine letter. But it, like you said, the worst case scenario is that you die from this. And <laughs> right. And, uh, well, no, I think I actually think
2: the worst, the worst case is you don't die and that you, you, your gas valve wasn't fixed at the annual and so you are burned nearly to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a buddy of mine, a climbing buddy, used to always say dead or worse yes yeah
0: well guys we need to wrap it up uh we, we once again want to thank mike for joining the team and uh there's one thing that um i don't know if you are aware of that by joining the pilot's journey co- podcast you have to change your name to Stu. i don't know if that was in the contract you noticed <laughs> that but. yeah you
1: know, instead of uh, i of idaho mike we're going to call you just Stu mike if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or Mike stew. I think Mike stew is more appropriate.
2: Mike stew works for me. I, I, I like it. I like it. I, I, you should be a stew to be on this on this pilot's journey. <laughs> I'll stew. I'll stew over that one for a while.
0: <laughs> oh, bad. We need the oh, sad no, trombone here for that. Yeah, one. Yeah, I
2: know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, well, uh, any shout outs?
2: Uh, you know, for, my shout out to is to both of you for, I guess, asking me to be a co-host to join you because, uh, I mean, this is, uh, I love talking about flying. I enjoy flying and, and, and I mean, it is a journey and I I'm, I'm, thank you both for, uh, for inviting me back and to be a regular, or to be a, a, a host. And, uh, and also, I guess, the fact that you asked me back because obviously you got some feedback from other people. Shout out to whoever you people are, the, the two people that mentioned <laughs> or whatever that, that liked uh, the last one I was on. I really appreciate that.
0: I'd also like to uh, to make a shout-out to two podcasts that uh, are, are a couple of my favorites, and uh, I've had a chance to talk to some of the folks on there. Uh, we, we have Nate over at the Mile High Flyers, uh, Denver Pilot. that uh, has uh, they, They've actually plugged us a little bit, but they're uh, some great guys and a, a good podcast. If you haven't heard that one yet, that's probably one to add to your list.
2: I have totally been enjoying that one, so ditto on that one for sure.
0: The other one is the, a little further south, the— uh, the Plain crazy down under podcast from Australia. And, uh, I've really enjoyed listening to two of the, uh, the wackiest guys that have, uh, probably had the, the best sound effects library of anyone I've ever seen.
2: You know, I, I hear them on the Airplane Geeks podcast, but it, so they have their own separate one. And I know they always re- reference it. I just haven't haven't pulled the thread to, to get it downloaded. So it's a, it's a totally separate one. It's not just the segment that they are with the Airplane Geeks group. Correct. It's
0: that expanded quite a bit. Uh, they do some great interviews. Matt Hall is the uh, one of the Airball Racers is uh, a regular uh, guest of theirs, and it's some really some, some great uh, stuff.
2: God, that's going to be great, because that means I have a whole bunch more podcast episodes to, to download and listen to, because they, they never update fast enough for me. I, I I burn through them as soon as they're updated, and it's like, uh, can I have one more, please?
0: Need more content.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, that, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm going to definitely go pull that one.
1: I don't really have any shout-outs. I feel very left out.
0: Uh, well, some people just need a social life, I guess.
1: Yeah. I I'll give a shout out to my wife because she's standing right next to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. I like that. G'day folks, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, And we're from the Plane Crazy Down Under podcast here in sunny Melbourne, Australia. That's right folks, we're coming to you from the bottom of the world. We're down here giving you all sorts of fun reviews on aviation in Australia. We've got opinionated news reviews, interviews with really cool pilots. We've got discussions with all sorts of people from journalists, air traffic controllers and aviation analysts. So if you're into aviation on any level, check us out in iTunes or visit our website at www com And remember, it's what's down under that counts.
0: Thank you for listening to the Pilot's Journey Podcast. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions, or experiences. You can reach us at our website at pilotsjourneypodcast.com or leave us voicemail at 469 277 2359. You can also follow me as PilotStew, that's S T U, on Twitter or MyTransponder.com.
1: You can reach me on Twitter or MyTransponder at CFI that's S T E W, also at CFI <S-T-E-W>.
2: And you can follow me on Twitter at ID Mike or MyTransponder IdahoMike, and uh, my website is November225Mike.com.
1: Please note that this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own qualified flight instructor before attempting anything discussed in this podcast.
2: And remember to enjoy the journey. Copyright
0: 2010, Fully Stewed Productions. And one mic.